Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 236 and this episode is with the founder of Tom Owens UK, Tom Owens himself. So I've been chasing Tom to get him on the podcast for a little bit because I knew that he'd add some great value looking at things from a technical side, which is what the business is about, working in small groups and individually with players across a number of different age groups. And I know when Tom was coming on, he was um, concerned about not being able to talk about sports science and strength and conditioning, but that's not really what I wanted to dive into. So some of the topics we went into is why players seek individual work, which crosses over both from the work that Tom does and also with what we spoke about on the podcast about players seeking physical individual work as well. We talked about whether Tom's approach has changed with the modern day demands on the speed of the game and um, the extra load that it's putting on players. Then we spoke about whether he sees any differences between um, players on the pitch in terms of a speed perspective when coaches will refer to players not moving well and not being as quick as possibly what they should be. We got his thoughts on that. And then we spoke about the off-season and pre-season and how he structures that with players and what are some of his KPIs in that period as well. So I hope you enjoy the episode with Tom. I'm sure you will. There's a lot of things that Tom speaks about in the episode that crosses over to a lot of things we've talked about recently in other episodes. So you are definitely going to take some good stuff away from this one. Just before we get into the podcast, I just want to give a heads up. As this episode goes out, we're actually at Bristol City this evening on Wednesday. And that is for one of our networking events. We've got a number of presentations at the events, which will soon be available on our online platform. Dave Rennie is presenting. He's the head of medical performance at the club on an overview of the 22-23 season at Bristol from a medical and performance perspective. We've then also got Andrew Proctor, who's lead first team physio, and Lewis Binns, who's first team sports therapist. They're presenting on a review of the end stage rehab process over the 22-23 season. And we also have Sam Cook, first team assistant sports scientist, and Patrick Orme, who's head of fitness and conditioning. They are presenting on the readiness to perform the use of objective data during the recovery period following match play. Now, if you do catch this episode early, there are tickets still available for the event, so you can go to footballfitfed.com and click the shop tab. If you are too late to come to the event, but you still want to watch the presentations, the good news is that the presentations will soon be available on our online community. So go to footballfitfed.com and click the community tab and you can sign up and become a member there. Now, it's been a few weeks since I was been begging for reviews on the podcast. We were at 88 reviews over on Apple. So if you listen to the podcast and you enjoy it, please head over there, click the five stars and leave us a short comment. I really would appreciate it. If you're listening on Spotify, it's even easier. Literally just click the five stars. There's no way of leaving the written review, but please leave a review, click the five stars. It really does help us out. Just finally, before we get into the chat with Tom, I just want to say a massive thank you to our sponsors. First of all, The Good Prep. The Good Prep is a meal prep delivery service that provides fresh, ready-to-eat, chef-cut meals straight to your door. They offer meal plans tailored to your personal goals, current activity level, and schedule. The Good Prep works closely with elite-level athletes and corporates to develop meal solutions that meet the ever-changing demands of performance and training. Their clients include Brighton & Hove Albion, the PGMOL, Commonwealth Games teams, Gymshark and many more. Their meals are full of all the nutrients you need to keep you in peak performance so you can achieve every goal you set. 
Plus, you can reclaim your time, eat better, move more, and reduce food waste too. Their meal plans are designed to help to guide you through your journey to a healthier you. Take the guesswork out of healthy eating and discover the power of nutrition at thegoodprep.com. And also discover the power of nutrition by going to their website and using the code FFF15 for 15% off your first order. And also after this podcast, I'm going and smashing in the Thai green curry that they have got, which is one of my favorites. So make sure you check that out if you're on the plan. Also a massive thank you to Hytro. Have you ever tried blood flow restriction training? For pro sports teams and athletes, Hytro is the only performance BFR brand to create pressure-validated BFR wearables that are practical, safe, and scalable, allowing you to enhance recovery and maximize athletic potential like never before. Whether in the changing room post-game, during away game travel, in the hotel or at home, Hytro has created a simple and effective tool that allows BFR to be delivered to athletes and squads simultaneously and safely. Check them out at hytro.com, that's H-Y-T-R-O.com, or email teamsales at hytro.com to find out how Hytro BFR can give your squad a competitive edge. Now, I said in the last episode that I had the shorts on the way. I've now done two sessions in the shorts, and I am thoroughly impressed. The pump that you get on your legs is absolutely incredible. I've got the t-shirts already, but I think the shorts are just a different level, and it's definitely something I'm going to be adding into my training. I used it for a recovery session the other day as well, which I really like, really easy. You can do some passive work with, with the shorts. There's obviously a lot of teams now using them, which I can fully understand why as well, so make sure you go and check those out. And finally, a huge thank you to our sponsors, Rezzle, doing some brilliant work in the world of VR. Let's get into the podcast now, episode 236 with the founder of Tom Owens UK, Tom Owens. Rezzle is the world's number one virtual reality sports trainer. Whatever your team, your sport, your ability, improve your game and train like a pro. Reactions, performance, accuracy, stamina, resilience. Train at home in the Rezzle Sports and Fitness VR Training Arena. Search Rezzle, R-E-Z-Z-I-L. The world's number one virtual reality sports trainer. Available now on MetaQuest. Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 236. I'm delighted to be welcomed on the podcast today. Tom Owens, Tom, how are we? Ben, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. I'm doing good and yeah, I am looking forward to the conversation. Not sure where it's going to go, but let's, let's do it. No, it's great to have you on, mate. I've just said before we start recording, I love getting people on like yourself because I feel like you can bring a whole different perspective to things because obviously... Anyone that doesn't know Tom, Tom's the founder of Tom Owens UK, um, doing some amazing work, which I'm sure you'll touch on in a second. Um, but more on the technical side, on the football side. So it's obviously something that we work with coaches a lot of the time. So it'd be great to delve into your brain. But Tom, give us a little bit of background, mate, on yourself, but then also the business. Yeah, so I played, so played for Preston North End from 12 years of age to 18 got released um, and then from there went to the USA. So spent five years in Cleveland, Ohio, went on a soccer scholarship there, then stayed to uh, pursue my master's degree. So then uh, I went to Illinois from there. And, and then, you know, the whole time, really, the number one goal was me to be a professional footballer. That was what I was chasing. You know, that's what the dream was. 
Um, and even still, when I went to America, even though I was studying, it was still the dream to be a, a professional footballer. I was still chasing that. I, th- I thought that was still alive for me. And then at 25, I was a crossroads where I could either stay in America and start building me. Because I did a little bit of coaching in me. There was a position called a graduate position in America, where it was a, a blend of coaching plus um, studying, where I could get my master's whilst coaching. So that, that was the start of my coaching journey, really, when I was 23. And really enjoyed it. I mean, I, I always sort of took up leadership positions in all the teams and groups that I played for, um, whether it be Preston or even the university that I played for. So I always I, I, I always really enjoyed leadership. I always really um, gravitated toward, towards leadership positions. So, you know, and obviously that, that's usually similar traits to a coach. So I always knew that coaching was going to be something that um, would 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 light me up. Not not to the extent that it does light me up today. I didn't anticipate that or or everything else that's happened really coaching wise. So, but at twenty five, I decided to come home um, because I'd been away from home for a while, and so I returned home. And then when I returned home, I, I thought that I'd walk into different jobs with my master's degree, and I thought I was a big shot with all my degrees from America. And then I realised that um, that it, it didn't really transfer over, so couldn't get a job anywhere, and end up. Yeah, after a few months of I was playing semi-pro football, so still trying to be a professional footy player, and um, and then I end up in a factory working night shift like three, four times a week, um, and hated my life. And then from there, um, my older brother was encouraging me to start a, a coaching because when I was in America, I noticed that like all the when I was on campus, the American football, the baseball, the lacrosse the basketball they would all do the team training like like what would happen in football but they were all super super big into individual training and it was the first time that i was like sort of on campus looking around thinking like why doesn't this happen for football um and so then i started offering um i started doing some one-on-one sessions just with the university lads who I was, I was the assistant coach for the university. So I started doing some private stuff for the university and just for the boys, I said, listen, you know, any centre forwards you want to come out and do some extra work after training. So just started messing around with me on little bits and bobs of one-on-one sessions while I was there. And didn't really make anything of it. But then when I came home, my older brother, because obviously the position I was in, I didn't have a job. I was sleeping on the floor in my mum's house. I was 25 years of age, still trying to chase professional football. And my older brother kept saying to me that he thinks that, you know, I'd do a great job of being um, doing the one-on-one training. And I think there's a market for it. And at that time, I had no confidence, um, no money, no proof that it would work in, in England because nobody had, had ever, that I knew of, had ever done it in the way that I, you know, was planning on doing it. So I was just very limited in me thinking and I had a lot of fear, no confidence. And I kept on saying to my older brother, I was like, no one will pay for it. I, I had this idea that in England, and it's probably still partly true, all the parents want to think that they know everything so yeah. that they're, they're not going to pay me. To, they're not going to pay me to train their kid when they think that they could just do it in the garden. But obviously that that, that was a, a limiting belief that has turned out on, you know, 100%. Couldn't be any further from the truth. So long story short, I started me, me business in a, at the back of a church in, uh, in, in Liverpool, just by my local house where I was living with my mum and you know slowly eight years later we're now um, we've got we train hundreds of players every month we've got um, a couple of Premier League clients that we train I've got um, four full-time coaches a couple of part-time coaches a few uh, full-time members of the team and um, to help us with the operation at Tomone UK 
And um, yeah, doing everything from pitch work to confidence and mindset programs to um, to helping coaches build build a similar business to mine. So so that's like, but that's a bit of a three four minute. That's probably longer than three four minutes there actually. But that's a bit of a, a summary of what's been happening in my world for the last um, eight or nine years. No, brilliant. And I would encourage anyone listening, go and check out the work that, that Tom and the team do because it's it's brilliant, absolutely brilliant. You see a number of different kids and like you say, professional players getting the work in away from the clubs, wherever they're at, um, high quality. And the other thing, Tom, that I've got to praise you on, it's got to come down from the top, is how infectious and not only knowledgeable, but sort of infectious and energetic the coaches are. And that seems to run right through the team just from me looking in on social media. Yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah, it's something that's important to us. You know, we believe that. Um, someone once said to me that no one cares how much you know until they know how much you care. And uh, that stuck with me that for a while, that quote. No one cares how much you know until they know how much you care. And so I've sort of built my business around around that, really, because I do believe in that in my heart that, you know, um, no, and I think there's some evidence of that too with Jürgen Klopp and Pep Guardiola. Because even though, you know, they're both, and I don't know any of them personally, but from an outside looking in, you you see that they care, you know, personally. You see how infectious they are with their energy, with their intensity, with the, you know, the the constantly touching the players, hugging, pats on the backs, high fives. And so you know that they're, that, that if, if they're doing it and they're two, two people at the top of the game. And um, so it's clear to see that there's something in that. Because Klopp's doing it, Guardiola's doing it, and they've been at the top of the coaching world for the last, you know, five, six, seven years. Um, so, yeah, we tried to build our philosophy around that, that no one cares how much knowledge we've got until we can convince our clients that we care about them on a deep level, on and off the pitch. Yeah, brilliant. You touched on before about players. Obviously, in the States, it is the trend that players will go out and do their work in all different sports and obviously bringing that into football on a technical side. It's something we speak about a lot on the physical side as well. And it's getting more and more prominent now that players, especially in off seasons or gaps in the season, they're going out to private coaches, SNC coaches, sports scientists to do work. Why do you think players seek that individual work? They're not getting it. This is probably the first thing. Um, I know they're not, I know they're not getting it. And again, it it probably it probably the degree to what they're not getting it probably changes to club, to club. Like probably some clubs probably spend a little bit more time and energy and attention on it. And then, so you know, but, but uh, some clubs, I know for a fact that they don't. I mean, we've got players who, who come and see us during the season um, because they don't get it. I think that, I think what happens a lot of times is, um, and this is just me, you know, I, I haven't been inside one of those clubs at first team level. So I'm only really regurgitating information that I speak to from, you know, the boys behind me or, or who, who I've worked with and then among among a few other, other other lads. But I think they try and wrap them up to protect them so that they don't. I think there's a lot on the line, right? At the, at the highest level, at least. There's a lot on the line. There's a lot, there's, you know, winning super important. And because the stakes are so high, I think they try and wrap up the players to protect the players to make sure that they don't push it too far or they, they avoid injury. And and there's obviously a place for that because you know if the if the player gets injured, it's not going nobody wins. The club doesn't win. The players win. Nobody wants the player to be injured. But I do think that there is a lot. You know, the players that I work with, at least, they all seem to there's got a common trend in the community in the way they communicate to me. And the communication is Tom. I want to do more. I think I can do more. I think like 
Uh, what and what a lot of them think that like a lot of them feel like when they were younger, they got co- really coached like on a technical detail and they really. You know, I believe quantity equals quality. So, you know, the more you do something, the better at it that you get. And that happens a lot when you're in the earlier phases. But all of our, you know, for some reason, when you get to the professional level, and I don't know because I, I have not been at that level for a player. And I also, you know, I, my only experience at a professional level is coaching the professional players that, that I work with. But I haven't been in that environment. But I think that it, they start moving away from... um quantity equals quality and they start wrapping them up because they just want them to get on the pitch to, to win the games of, of a weekend or during the week but there's players players have still got all this all this energy inside and they still want to improve technically with something as silly as like the weak foot or dribbling or you know catching the ball on a half volley or receiving skills um, and they're all the things that we hammer on the pitch and so for those players who do who, who, who do feel like they need to scratch that itch because, you know, what the players are, are really concerned about is they're concerned that if they didn't find me, that they would get to the end of the career and be like, you know what, I could have been I could have been so much better, but I just got to this professional level and just settled for this is who I am now. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, it's almost like the professional contract means this is who I am. I am this type of player, and this is just who I am. And and then the the evolution of the player sometimes can be lost. So um, I think we just live in a world where the players, and I don't I don't think we will live in this world the way it is now. Though I think the clubs are going to have to uh, be forced to look at it. But I think we live in a world where um, players want to want to evolve and want to grow and want to still improve. But I think clubs, by the sounds of it or trying to um, get players inside and get them to put their feet up. But players want to keep on growing and keep on getting better. So they're, they're the players who are coming to seek out our training and some of our work. I think it's that whole debate around, you've mentioned like the development phase, going through academies, getting to that first team, and then first team is about performance, isn't it? But you, I think you're so right with that because I know some of the players, that I've seen some of the players you're working with, early 20s, maybe even teenagers still. There's a long way to go in the career, isn't there? You just mentioned that the player can change and develop. There's a long way to go. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. And and, and it's a, you know, the game again, that's an evidence. Well, like once you're, you, that's, it, you can't win at that game, right? Like you don't ever win at improving. It's just a constant, you, you're in that game forever. You can win it. You can win a 90 minute football match at the end of 90 minutes. There's a loser, there's a winner. Um, and there's a result at the end, but you can't ever, you can't win um, at, at the gym. The, the, the key with the gym is to continue playing the game all, all the time, to stay in the game. You can't win at getting better. The key is stay in the game, keep getting better all the time. And so I think the players who have that craving are the ones who seek out the extra work from yourself and, you know, probably a lot of people who, who, who are listening in right now and then also my work too. Yeah. So is it fair to take from that then? You feel like the biggest reason they make that decision is they're not getting the, the uh, quantity of work in terms of they feel like they can do more but also the fact that you've got that individual in front of you. So, you know, the way that they play, you can look at everything from an individual perspective without looking at the other 20 odd other players that are in that squad. Yeah, because I think there's like, there's, there's there's three, the way I see it in training, there's three parts. There's like the team, then there's the units within the team, and then there's the individuals within the team. But I feel like the, the more you work down those units, the less and less time and attention people get. I think that I think clubs do a great job of teamwork 
are we all on the same page? Are we, you know, team meetings? What's the plan of action? Who are we? What are we all about? I think they do a great job of that by the by the outside looking in. Units, I feel like they do a decent job. I feel like midfielders go together, defenders go together. I think there's some of that going on, hundred percent. Um, but then the the individual work is where it really it really um it really peels off, and that's why I think there's not much attention going on on the individual for for whatever reason. I don't know whether. I don't know whether there's a mindset of like, oh, they're a professional and they're older now, so they should be able to do A, B, and C on their own. I don't know whether there's a bit of that, that like, you know, um, but, but obviously managers are obviously under pressure to win games. So how have they got the resources or the time and energy to actually stay out on the pitch with an individual for 45 minutes, 60 minutes and give and pour everything into that individual? Like, I can do that. Yeah. But I, and, and that doesn't make me better than the coaches who are in these clubs. It's just purely, I've, I can do it because I've just got the resources to do it. It's what it's what my business, I mean, my whole business is designed around it. So it doesn't make me better than the other coach who can't do it. It's just like, there's only 20, everyone's only got 24 hours in a day. So it's like, maybe the, you know, the coaches haven't got the time or the resources or the clubs haven't invested the time or the resources in giving the, each individual that individual work. I don't, I don't know what the answer is, but obviously it's work. It's almost like, you know, it's worked for me. So it's not like I'm complaining because obviously the players who aren't getting it, they come and see me, which I love. But I do think that, that the clubs are going to be forced to look at it. I already know that there's clubs who are already having them conversations just through a couple of people who I know who are inside of academies and inside of professional environments. I already know that the, the conversation around individual work, it's happening and it's been happening for the last couple of years. So I think we'll start to see in the next, you know, my prediction is that in the next few years, we'll start to see clubs um, really, there's, there's definitely clubs already out there, by the way, right now, who are already um, going hard in this individual work. And I just think we'll see more and more of it come out and it'll be more public too. That's my prediction. Yeah, I think you've seen that in some jobs that have come out as well, haven't you? Clubs, like actual roles have been developed where it is focused on the individual. Right. So, yeah, mm-hmm. no, I completely agree, mate. So one, one area I thought would be really interesting is something we spoke about a lot in, in terms of how the game has evolved in terms of speed, the amount of deceleration work that players are doing now, the intensity of these games, especially at the top level with some of the players that you're working at. How was that? informed or changed your approach with players or has it? No, not really. No, I think like if I was if I was doing what I'm doing now 20 years ago, I don't think I mean obviously like the more the more I learn and read and study, like you know, that that all is constantly being influenced by I'm constantly influencing me philosophy on how I'm coaching someone. But I think for me, my stuff's super personal. And I think, you know, I, I think humans Twenty years ago, we're dealing with humans, or twenty years from now, I'm still going to be dealing with human beings. And I think human beings just want that attention, they want that love, that focus, and um, and because my stuff is 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 really about the basics of, of football. It's not not about even if the game changed. I, I don't I don't think how 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 can receiving the ball in multiple different ways. I don't know how many different ways you could possibly receive a football, no matter how much the game got faster or slower or yeah. quicker or t- started to change. My work is um, is obviously not very tactical. So ours is specific to someone's position, but it's very technical um, and probably more so mental, to be honest with you, as well in terms of um, 
just empowering each individual that um through through repetition um and and you know you're building confidence through repetition and 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 giving them the tools because I look at what we do as like as as golf like when you go and play I don't play golf by the way do you play golf I do well I try <laughs> yeah I couldn't play golf to save my life I do some people say I'll come with age so maybe like if we do a podcast in a few years maybe I'll start by then but um, I don't play golf but what I know about golf is that you you've got lots of clubs to, and if you haven't like if you went to play 18 holes but you're at half of the clubs I imagine it'd be a difficult time because the ball's going to land in some certain situations and circumstances but you haven't got the club to solve the problem so I look at football the exact same that's like that's where my job our job is to get each individual and to make sure that when they cross the white line to play the game of football they've got all the tools to pro- solve all the problems or as many problems as possible and you know and, and I look at the best players in the world. So obviously over the last like decade or so, Cristiano Ronaldo uh, being at the top of the game. And I look at him and I think, why is he the best? And, and the, the, the place that I go to is he's got all, he, you know, in his prime, in his peak, he had all the tools. So it doesn't matter what situation or circumstance he found himself in. He had the clubs to pull out the right club to solve the right problem. So he says to his teammates, play it to me in the air, I'll go get it. Play it to me in behind, I'll go get it. Play it to me left, me right, I'll go get it. Bounce it to me, I'll, de- I'll deal with it. Like, there's no, you can't catch him out. Catch him out. There's mm-hmm. nothing you can catch him out with. He's ready for it all and, 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 and credit to him because he's trained himself with all the tools that are necessary to play the game and execute at a high level. And so when players come to me, it, it's, a, it's an analysis of, okay, what tools do you have right now? And what, what situations are you finding yourself in often subject to your position? And then let's let's get the tools to solve that problem. And then let's, you know, and let's hammer them home. And there's an opportunity in, in, in my space where there's no rush. You're coming out, you've got your own time designated slot. And for 60 minutes, it's a, it's a full deep dive into your position, all of the scenarios that could possibly come your way. And, um, and then, you know, once we've built the habits of, of doing that the right way, then it's adding the tempo and adding the speed. So then come match day, you know, because in the game, you're not thinking about all that stuff. You know what I mean? Like, you know, yeah. in the game, you're not thinking about all the details of like, where's your standing foot and where's your connection with the ball and um, and how am I from the ball when I'm making contact with it? Like, th- these are things that you don't think about. But go, in training is a great opportunity to start thinking about some of those things and to be conscious of them so that when, because the game is quite quite, quite unconscious, you just sort of unconsciously play the game of football based upon your habits. And so, so to answer your question, really, the demands of the game and how it changes and like doesn't really influence the work that we do. Um, because again, our job is just to, you know, what position do you play? What are the possible scenarios that you could be, be placed in? And then what tools do you need to execute them scenarios at a high level and solve all them problems? And, and that's, that's really the work that we do. So I have a hard time thinking that that would change much. The only times it would change, I guess, if a player comes to us and is like, listen, I'm playing full back. Um, and the manager wants me to do A, B and C, which is probably quite unique to any usual fullback position. And that's probably the only time really, but the, the it's really the player's responsibility to feed, feed back that information to us. And because we can make the sessions look however we need to. Um, so, so yeah, I'm just trying to answer the question live really, but I just think the only way it would be influenced is if the players get certain demands from the coach or from the game and the player just comes to us with them demands. And um, and obviously I watch the videos of all the all the clients too. So as I'm watching the videos, I'm, I'm, I'm seeing what the game's demanding of them by watching the analysis and see the problems they're solving at a high level and then the stuff where they're getting stuck. 
and where they're having some challenges to solve certain problems. So, um, so that's really that's really my thought process. I don't even know if I answered the question. No, you have a hundred percent. You have a hundred percent. I think just on that as well, when you've got a player that comes to you, they're obviously going to have strengths which are going to we refer to them as like the superpowers in terms of physical, and then they're going to have areas that they need to develop and work on. Where's what's the ratio for you? Does this depend player to player on where you spend your time? Would it be a case of right, let's make that super strength even stronger and do a little bit of work on the weakness, or how does that split? Yeah, yeah, probably probably the latter. I mean, it's a the, the, whenever the players are doing our programs, it's a, it's, a, it's a conversation first. So before we train, it's a conversation of like, okay, where are you up to? What would you like? What would you like to unfold in the next twelve months? Here's what I've seen of you, and here's the areas that I think you're amazing, and I think that you could do even better. And here's the areas where I think that you know you it's maybe low hanging fruit where it actually wouldn't require that much effort and that much work. But I think if you added it into your game, I think you could get ten times more productive. So it, it's it's more of a conversation with the player really about like what what are they passionate about, and um, what what are they seeing, what are they how are they feeling? Because no matter how many video analysis. I do. I don't know how they're feeling on that pitch. Um, I can try and put myself in their shoes as best as possible, but I need to. My program needs to factor in how do they feel, and I never know that. So that's why I need to ask the right questions and and, and navigate the right conversations to draw it out of them. How are you feeling on the pitch? Like when you're hitting that ball in that position, how do you feel? Do you feel stable? Do you feel confident? Do you feel like you could hit like seven out of ten? Like what are your ratios? Like where are you up to? Um. So. So. So yeah, so that, so that, and then at the end of that conversation, there's 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 clarity and okay. So it's fair to say that we're gonna as part of you know we're gonna be together for the next six weeks. As part of our program, it's fair to say that this percentage of time is gonna be dedicated towards the areas that you're doing great right now, but also these things, and then trying to see if we can prioritize because there's so like I get to see the players in three week period really, so there's. You can get better at anything, but you just can't get better at everything in three weeks. Yeah, three four weeks. Um, so it's it, the 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 hardest part of my job is trying to prioritize because I a lot of times when I sit down with the player, they tell me they want to improve on everything, and I'm just like, yeah, I get it, but <laughs> but like, what's a priority? Like yeah. where and then trying to prioritize the things that again, the the places really where it goes to is. What could you add to your game that wouldn't really require any crazy new skills or loads more effort? But it's sort of like low-hanging fruit. It's right there for you if you just sent a little bit of energy towards it. And if you just, you know, if you've done a couple of reps in, in there and we spoke about it and see how you felt. Um, so that they're the things that like I know that we can immediately touch right away. They make a lot of sense. So they go straight to the top of the priority list. And then um, some of the other things would be like, listen, you've got to accept the fact that I understand that you want to with this right now, I'll be honest with you. Like, I don't see loads of that in your game. This is not a three week thing. This isn't something that we're going to be able to accomplish in the next three, four weeks. But if you're willing to make the commitments and you want to come and see us longer than that, then we can look at how that might look in the next six months. But you, you know, and then it's and that's odd because it's an honest conversation. Player might think that they're here, but then I've seen it they're there, and then it's a conversation to be like, well, I'm um, so that it's then them initial conversations are really important to, to gauge. What a, what's a priority in the next three weeks um, and, and, and how to programme someone. If you're not already a member of our online community, I don't know what you're waiting for because now is a great time to join. We have just uploaded both presentations from our, our Dublin networking event from Des Ryan and Shane Murphy. So they're now available to watch on the community. If you want a little preview, if you're not quite sure 
and you're not already a member, just head over to our YouTube page because we posted a couple of previews of both of those presentations. So you can check those out there. But the full presentations are available on the community. And then also all the presentations from our Bristol event will be uploaded onto the community very soon as well. And we have a number of webinars coming soon too. So it's a great time to join. The good news is if you're not a member, you can get your first month free by going to footballfitfed.com. Click the community tab and sign yourself up there. You get a, a free 30 days on that tab. And then once you've done your free 30 days, you become a full member. You get access to our members WhatsApp group where there's been some brilliant conversations going on recently. And it's all for only $4.99 per month. So go and check it out, footballfitfed.com. Click the community tab and sign yourself up to a free 30-day trial. Here's part two of the podcast with Tom Owens. It seems like it's great to hear that the, the programmes are so, not player-led in terms of they just design the whole thing, but there's a lot of communication obviously going on with the player, isn't there, where you're then creating something from that. And it's again, it's something we've touched on a lot in terms of the physical side as well. Um, it's really mm-hmm. important, isn't it, that side? Yeah, 100%. And again, we're not, our expertise is not the strength and conditioning side. And we always encourage our players to go somewhere else for that, um, even though, the only really place we'll touch on is the footwork. We really value starting all our sessions with footwork. And um, it was something that I picked up while I was in America. I seen that. Um, I, I was always fascinated watching how 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 heavy and big the NBA and the American football players were and how how good the footwork was. Mm-hmm. I was always like I always remember like sometimes walking around campus and sometimes I would just go and watch. The American football people train. I'd just sit there with a cup of tea and I'd watch. And I was watching these people. They were like super heavy, super, um, super tall, super rapid and clean with the footwork. And I was like, how oh, that doesn't make sense. Yeah. Um. But so so that was always fascinating to me. That and I always remember when I went to America in my first week. I went to what the Cleveland Cavaliers play. And I was in like the nosebleed seats right at the top. And my first week while I was in Cleveland, um, LeBron had just left, so I didn't get to see LeBron James, but. Um, one of my friends who I went with, his uncle had courtside seats, and he, he, his uncle was stuck. In, his uncle was stuck in traffic, so couldn't make the first quarter. So I went down to the courtside seats in the for the for the second quarter, and I was right there on the on the floor, and I was watching these people like six foot eight, six foot nine, but the footwork was unreal. Um, and ever since that, you know, I've always valued the footwork, and then because I've been doing it so long now too. A lot of people come out to me, Ben, and they'll say, Tom, I want to improve my shooting or my finishing or my passing. I'm like, okay, great. Then I'll get them out on the footwork and the sloppy. And mm-hmm. really what I end up finding is like, it's not, it's it's actually, it's not so much your connection of the ball with, with your pass that's the problem. You can't sort your feet out to, to pass the ball the right way. Yeah. So it's the organization of the footwork because that's what precedes the connection of the ball. So from me training so many people from like a six-year-old who's just started to the Premier League boys and watching people so closely now, it's like um, I see it time and time again, the correlation between someone's ability to organise their feet and someone's cleanliness of receiving the ball and setting the feet for a clean strike. Um, And there's always a correlation between the best strikers of the ball and the best receivers of the ball. And the people who have got the cleanest footwork through through the ladders, the hurdles, and whatever, however else we're working the footwork that day. So that's really the extent that I will go to from a strength and conditioning perspective. 
No, that's great. That's great. I want to give a little bit of context around this next question because we we speak a lot about speed away from the pitch, but also on the pitch as well. And we spoke a lot yeah. about players being on sort of a spectrum, a continuum of on one end, we need to work on the technical side of developing their, their sprinting. So breaking it down in terms of how they actually move and then sliding right to the other end is like the game insight, being on the pitch and being able to apply that in a game scenario. So I want to focus on that end with you and just put the question out there in terms of, we, we hear a lot of players, or, or I was going to say parents, but we'll go with coaches talking about players not moving as well or not being as quick as what they need to be. And you can look at the technical side and like, well, technically they're, they're, they're quite good movers, but they just don't seem to have that insight and do it on the pitch. Have you seen that? And where do you feel in terms of your technical knowledge? Where do you feel that breaks down to? Um, I don't really know the answer to that question, to be honest. I, I feel like um, I would definitely wouldn't want to answer something and pretend that I um, pretend that when it, when it comes to someone being technically sound through the mechanics of running, but not being able to apply it on the pitch. Is that what the question is? Yeah, and I don't know whether it, it ties into what you've just been talking around, around footwork, because for me, and tell me if I'm wrong, but from what I took from your last answer, it was that them having more efficient footwork will maybe create a little bit more time, which allows them to, uh, if it's them going onto a onto a shot or a pass, they're able to do, they're able to execute that because they've developed more time from the initial footwork. So I don't know whether that then transfers a bit more onto the speed side as well. Yeah, po po possibly. I mean, I was also talking about you know footwork can come across in terms of just getting in the right position. I mean, even sometimes someone might have time and it's actually got nothing to do with time but just getting into into the right spot like it, with, with your with your footwork so that your base is solid your stand legs solid and you can see you know and again i'm going a bit technical with my stuff now but like but a lot of people are striking the ball but they can't see the whole ball that that's something that we speak about when we talk about connecting with the ball and yeah i know it might not be super relevant for your audience who are in strength and conditioning area but so for us if someone's got the footwork right, they're in the right spot where you can see all the ball, all the surfaces. When you're making a connection with the football, you want to be able to see all the surfaces of the ball and not only just see visually, but you'd also want to be in a position where you can use all of it too. But if the but if yours if the ball's slightly ahead of you or even slightly under you, you can't see all the surfaces and you can't access it all with your foot. So you, you might make a decent connection, but your ratios aren't gonna because it's all what what I do is a ratio game. So it's it's not I don't come out to try and get someone to crack a ball swipe two out of ten. My, I'm more interested in you know you could you could be in the you could be and we see it all the time on match of the day when we're watching the Premier League games. You could be in the wrong position with the worst footwork ever, and you can connect the ball quite well. Yeah. And but they're like one, two, three out of ten, but no one no one gets to a high level with them types of ratios. So it's it's about consistent trying to build up your ratio. So for, for us, the foot the what really helps us from a footwork perspective is that if people are in the have got the can organize, have got an ability to organize their feet, whether it be off balance or whether it be when they're when they're on the move, when they whether they're in full speed, whether they're standing still and then they're moving to the left or right and they're having to react quick to organize the feet. If someone has got a good ability to do that, 
then you know now what what then happens is then they're in the right spot then to see the ball when the whatever it is they're doing whether it be crossing or striking or shooting or passing or distributing whatever it might be because they can see all the ball then so that yeah. that's where that's where the footwork stuff really you know we see it we see the return on investments on the footwork stuff because everyone's connection with the ball really makes a lot of progress once they start organizing the footwork but it all starts with footwork so that's why people always say to me Tom I need to improve my shooting I'm like well maybe you need to improve your footwork yeah but obviously people people don't pick you know like a football player doesn't sit in there and go oh, I've missed a bunch of chances and it's my footwork like that doesn't no one think no one thinks about that people just think it's me shot or it's me decision and it might be that by the way it's never just one thing it's not like as if if someone sorts a footwork out everything else is sorted because Connection with the ball is another conversation too. Decision making is also another conversation. So there is other contributing variables that 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 all needs to come together for you to um, increase your ratios of striking the ball. But but not not really. Um, but yes, yeah, so, so I don't I don't think to answer your question though, for speed um, and how that applies. That, that, that's not really something that um, I don't feel like we we would be monitoring from our end. No, and I appreciate that. And I think what, what this shows is that the conversations with someone like yourself on, on the technical side is really important for, for FNC coaches because we can understand that that side of things. But already I've taken loads from the actual technical side. So when, when SNC coaches, sports science, putting drills on, these are some of the factors that you're talking about that can be applied to those drills. We don't have to understand the full thing, but we can speak with people, some, someone like yourself, and taking to my rack, this is what Tom wants at the end of it. This is what he's looking for. So how can we manipulate it to try and get what we want and also what he wants? Yeah, yeah, because no one, the people that you work with and even the people that I work with too, but it's probably it's probably closer to me and a little bit further away for, for, for you. People don't want to squat or do deadlifts or do single leg. Like People don't want to do that stuff. People know that the, the, the reason people can do it is because of the result that they think they're going to get. So I think... My work is closer to the result that they want because it's closer to the football pitch, which is the people, you know, assuming that you're working with football players anyway. But football players are in the gym, but they want to be the reason they're in the gym is because of what they want to do on the pitch. They want the gym to go to the pitch, yeah. and then they come and see me, which we're on the pitch with so a little bit closer to the, the outcome that they want but not quite because I'm still stopping them and talking about the details. So I think, yeah, I do, I do agree with you there because I think that if you could. Can, if you could be whatever, let's say you are, and again, I'm saying squatting, but that's just a simple exercise, I guess. But let's say you are squatting with someone or going through some details or some strength conditioning programming with someone, your ability to be able to paint the picture in their mind as to how this, what this has got to do with you connecting with the football, which is closer to the actual outcome, which is what they want, which is, I want to be better on the pitch, whether it be with the ball, without the ball. So yeah, I think connecting them too would probably... It would probably promote buy-in from the clients, wouldn't it? Yeah, definitely. Because this work I'm doing here is going to be reflected upon when I step over that white line. Again, it's something we've touched on. You've got to think that you're going to get a question, why? Why are we doing this by a player or a coach? And if you've not got an answer to it, you probably shouldn't be doing it because it has mm. to It has to have that transfer 100%. No, I appreciate that, that Tom. I think that was, that's really, really good information for people to hear. We've, we're getting closer now towards sort of off-season and then crossing over into pre-season. So I was interested, and I don't know whether you've already touched on this in terms of developing the toolbox, and I know you used the, the golf analogy before, 
But in terms of your focus in an off-season period where we're removing the, the load of matches, would your focus change for players or what would be some of the main priorities that you're going to take them for a certain period, whether that's a four, six, whatever they've got, um, a block, and then you're sending them back into pre-season? What would be your focus with the medals? Does it just not change? Yeah, so, so the, the focus for me is like initially, like when I get the player, usually they've just been on a holiday or a bunch of holidays because the season's finished, they've they gone on a nice holiday. And and... Yeah, yeah, and you come <laughs> back and they, and, and, and generally, you know, some of the ones who maybe haven't had a great season prior or, or have had a great season but want to kick on and maybe the ones who maybe got a little bit more... Um, a little bit more desire to uh, to to make sure that the next season's good. Generally speaking, some of them have usually like done a couple of runs to stay on top of it. So then, by, so by the time I get them, they always say to me like, you know, I've been running and I've been keeping up with me me running, so I feel good. And then, like, we'll literally be twenty minutes into a ball a drill, and but when the ball comes out, it's a fucking different world. Yeah. So. And that that that's you can't replicate the game of football in the gym, no matter how much you try. Once that round thing starts flying at you, and your legs are a little bit heavy, it's it it's a it's a completely different world. So initially, there's like no expectations, and and I'm not you know I'm I'm really not evaluating or not, not judging anyone for like the first like first week, and that's just a case of you know let's let's break a sweat. Let's get the ball out. Let's get you familiar with your coordination with the ball again. Because even though you stay away from the ball for so long, you pick it up super quick, but you do lose it a little bit. And mm -hmm. you, those messages don't travel as quick from, from brain to foot when you're trying to receive the ball or connecting with it. And that's where, like, you know, for me, I'm watching them and they, 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 the hardest, one of the biggest challenges for me is to, they, because there's a decent amount, how do I say this? There's, there's, everyone's got an ego, right? Yeah. So the players at the highest level have got an ego too, which serves them well mm -hmm. when they're competitive and they want to win, they want to be the best. Doesn't really serve them well when they're trying to develop habits to um, and, and they've just come back off a holiday and they haven't seen a football for three weeks and then they, you know, they can't hit a barn door. <laughs> so my biggest challenge is to, is to make them understand that like that is okay for like this week I understand you got high standards and all that but if you've got high standards come back next week and, and then if, we're, if you're about to go back to pre-season and you're still doing what you're doing now which I know that you won't because ne like, it never ever happens but yeah. because I've done so many pre-seasons now with professionals I know that the first few days is like is purely just a, a feeling feeling in process feeling the ball feeling training again, feeling a little bit of structure again. Um, so I'm not overloading players in the first bit. It's just come out, break a sweat, um, smile as many smiles as I can, even though the ego doesn't allow them to smile that much if they're missing or if they're not, if they're not doing something good. So trying to get as much smiles in as possible. Um, particularly, like, it's that's easy if it's a client that's been with us for a while, but if it's a new client, um, trying to take them on that journey. But then... You know, once you start getting into like this, the 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 you know, even working with someone generally for like three weeks, when you start getting into the second week, you start you know picking up the temperature a little bit. So uh, we'll we'll start. We, we won't really go into any running um, per se. They'll do their own running if they if they need to or feel like they need to after the sessions. But if they won't do it with me. It'll all be ball work. But then, um, but then the, it'll just the intensity of the drills, how long I'll keep the players in the practices for, how many reps we'll be doing, all that stuff starts to get starts to increase in the second week. 
And it's hard to, I'm just going off a three week year, but like, it's so, so, some people come and see us for like four weeks. Some people will come and see us and um, for like three sessions. It's like, so it's here, there and everywhere really. But then the last week is where I'll start adding in some running based where like they're actually trying to execute the things that we've been working on. But they'll be doing little bits of cardio in between each rep. So it might be, you know, like Anthony's behind, for example. So like whether it be he's on the wing and he's doing a couple of strikes, he goes down the wing crosses it in, cuts it, and then, you know, we get the ball. Number two comes into him, into the box, cuts inside, left for finish. Then he's facing someone up, shifting it, striking it. From there, he'll, he'll be somewhere where he's got to get to. So there'll be some sort of run, which will build up, whether it be... Um, but it's all specific runs. So we might be... Well, we assume that the last shot he just hit, goalkeeper caught it. No matter where it went, we just assume the goalie's caught it or it's been blocked or whatever. And now someone else, the opponents have got the ball. He's got to react off that. So he's straight over to closing the ball down. Then the ball's gone somewhere else. He's straight over to close that ball down. Then it's a walk back to the start and then we go straight back in. So really, really turning up the temperature in the end. Um, and that's when like you know the, the, the players go to a little bit of a dark place there. But that's when the session's really difficult. But they end up, you know, all the players end up going back to pre-season and I'm always checking in with them in the first few weeks when they're back and they just feel like even just mentally they feel like stimulated yeah they feel ready alert mentally because for the last three weeks they've been used to a ball getting fired at them and um and because I try and train just a slight threshold above the match if possible so with the if the game demands this I try and increase particularly in the back half of the second week and and the first half of the last week. Um, before we start rest, before they start resting, before they go back in. But I try and train just a little bit of a threshold above, so that when we go and when they do actually go and train with the teams, or when they go and play the matches, it, because they've been training a slight threshold ahead. The game, I I want one of my goals for my clients is I want the game to be easy because you train with us. That that's that the ultimate philosophy is the match is easier because you train here, so you're used to this level of um of of alertness. Like in our in our sessions, especially when the sessions start getting into the the intense sessions, the, the level of like stimulation that is required for you to be able to cope in a practice is like is like through the roof. Mm-hmm. And I, the game doesn't require that level of stimulation and every second all the time. So the players end up stepping onto the pitch, and they're almost they almost expecting the ball to come a little bit quicker than it actually does. So it almost feels like they're just, everything's moving slow for them, but it's almost like they're in the matrix, you know? Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. how I want our players to feel when they play. Man, that's brilliant. So I knew this would be a great conversation. I could keep talking about this all day, but I'm just a little bit conscious of time. And I want to, if you've got time, are you, are you okay to take, take these last few yeah, questions? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm um, good. I'm good. We always finish the podcast with the same sort of questions. The first of which, and it's been really interesting hearing from you on these is who are some of the biggest influences on your career so far? Um, coaching career. Yeah. Just me like. Yeah, coaching career. Okay, coaching career. Probably, I'd probably say when I was in America. Probably. Um, because there was a coach that I had who was my university coach. He's from Birmingham lives out in the US and his name was um, Michael Mac McBride and um, he 
he he was the one who like when I look at me, I, I think if any if you asked anyone anyone the question of like who's the best coach you've ever had, I think it always ends up being the person who you feel like's really really cared about you. Yeah. And like one and, and he, he had this blend where like one minute he's like a millimeter from your face screaming at you because you didn't do something right or the standards weren't high. And then the next minute he's walking around the campus having a cup of tea asking how your family is. <laughs> and I was, I was always like, does he like me or hate me or what's the? But I, I but I, I would have run through walls for him, you know, like I would have run through brick walls for that for that guy because I knew that um, he really put time into, into me. He was really present with me. He cared about what I thought, and he cared about me as a person. And um, and and, and there's been multiple coaches like that while I was in America. So him plus like I was always fascinated with. The like, uh, do you know who Urban Meyer is or Nick Saban or Nick Bill Saban. Belichick? Nick Saban, Bill Belichick, yeah, yeah. So I was always fascinated. There was always there was a show called Hard Knocks. Yeah, heard of the show? have you watched Hard yeah, Knocks? Yeah, yeah, yeah. When I was in America, this is before I was even like coaching. I was always I was always fascinated with them shows. When I was in my dorm rooms, I was always watching Hard Knocks on YouTube. So I think from then, I really I, I felt like um, I felt like the uh, the American way of coaching because. The in American football, particularly college, they were getting a lot of like um, you know underprivileged but talented athletes who maybe come from like the ghetto or come from a, a rough area or a rough upbringing. So the coaches needed to be more than just coaches. They needed to be like almost like life mentors. In some cases, dad like like a father figure. Yeah. And then also and also the American football coach and the way that these people, the best who used to do it, Urban Meyer was uh, used to coach at Ohio State. Um, the way that he used to do it, the way he would blend all those things, instead of being a father figure for these people, plus a mentor, plus a coach, that always really just pulled me. There's something, something pulled me towards that sort of philosophy. So I think now, like I think that our, our brand is a little bit American. I think there's a little bit of an American feel to what we do. Mm-hmm. And if, if you never get the chance to come to Liverpool, you have to come to one of our sites. And if, but if you stepped on one of our sites and you're all of our coaches are coaching at the same time on a half of a football pitch, you would feel like all that enthusiasm and all that energy. And I think there's something American about that. So I'd probably say in the US. Yeah, brilliant. The other one is, have you watched Last Chance You? Last Chance You, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, That's the other one, isn't it? Obviously, obviously, younger younger players, but they take exactly that same role as what you just spoke about. Yeah. Who's the, who's the um, Brown? What's the that's his name? Jason Brown, is it? Do you Jason see him? Jason Brown, down? yeah. <laughs> he's a nutter, buddy. Absolute nutter. Yeah, absolute yeah. nutter. But, but, also, but also some stuff he said was good, though, too. Yeah, yeah. And he, like, he, just, he did what, exactly what he just said. He was a father figure for a lot of them, wasn't he? Yeah, and he'd tell them straight. Yeah. I mean, obviously, I didn't always agree agree with him the way he did it always. Like, he was, he was really, like, straight down the barrel, wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah, there's definitely. something about that though. There's something old school because he, he, I know that his philosophy, and I've followed him since since Last Chance You because I, I liked watching his series, um, and I know that I know that he has he operates from a philosophy that the world is weak and yeah. uh, you are soft nowadays, and young kids are entitled, and I don't agree with all of it, but it's not all false either. No, there's somewhere in between, isn't there? Where he's right, yeah. Yeah, there is some truth, and I saw there is some truth that I resonate with with that. So, yeah, I, I really enjoyed watching Last Chance. It was, it was cool. Yeah, brilliant. What would you say your biggest strength is as a coach, Tom? 
biggest strength as a coach? Probably something to do with my last answer, really. So, like, you know, for us, we always talk about three things in, in a coaching session for a coach to uh, almost like boxes to tick. The first one is to be the player's friend. The second one is to be the player's accountability partner. And the third one is to be the player's motivator. Um, the accountability partner is more a place of like telling the truth, um, but do it with love. And the, the first one being the friend is like, you know, ask them, you know, show an interest in the human being, not just the football player. And then the motivator is, you know, have you got the ability to um, to get someone to go to a dark place and get an extra second out of someone, let someone go a little bit quicker or do something a little bit sharper or um, really go and apply your coaching tools. So I think, you know, I would like to, um, I would, it's hard to answer that question about myself, isn't it? But I think I would like to think that I do a decent job of putting those three things together in my own way. I think if someone went, if someone trained me, maybe I'd ask my clients, but if, if someone trained me, I think that they would say that Tom's my friend, Tom's my accountability partner, and Tom can also get the best out of me. So I think probably putting those three things together and, and blending them up in my own way is probably my strength. Brilliant. If you were able to speak to Tom back in America, what would be the big bit of career advice you'd give him? Stop playing FIFA. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was quite good at FIFA, though. <laughs> <laughs> what would I give him advice? Um, I mean, now, now that I know what I know, I believe everything's mindset, and I didn't have the right mindset when I was trying to be a professional footballer. But I think everything's mindset. You know, there's a saying that I love, which is um, if, you know, you don't, you, if you don't have skills, skill set without the mindset will leave you upset. And I think no matter how many skills you've got, unless you can apply yourself with the right attitude uh, to, to everything that's going to happen, unless you can develop a healthy relationship with mistakes and failure and things going wrong, um then it's it, I think it's difficult to really reach your potential. And, and I didn't have a great relationship back then with things not going my way or things not going, you know, making mistakes or trying. You know, I tried out of so many pro clubs and didn't get a contract. And I probably got more and more deflated each time. But that was just that that was a reflection upon my mindset that I, I was operating out of a place of fear of imagine if I don't get a pro contract as opposed to an abundant mindset to think that there's a million clubs on the planet and I'm just not going to stop until I get a pro contract, but I didn't have that mindset. Yeah. Um, so, so, and the mindset's such a broad conversation. I could talk about, I could talk all day about it, but I think everything's mindset and I didn't have the right mindset back in the day um, for me to really achieve me, me playing goals. So anyone who's listening to this, you may be playing, who is playing, um, It'd be, it would be, you know, pick up. If you don't make it as a professional football player, or if, or that's probably not fair. So maybe that maybe the best comment is if you don't become the best player that you could be, that is your fault, no yeah. one else's. And I used to think that it was Preston's fault for releasing me. I used to, I used to blame Darren Ferguson because he was the one who came in and brought in all the man. You know, you say Alice Ferguson's son. He came into Preston. Two weeks before I was getting a decision made on me, brought in Danny Welbeck, Matty James, all, all Man United players. And I used to think that that was the reason I didn't get a pro. So I used to really, well, oftentimes when some, a person who doesn't like taking responsibility really 
tries super hard to find somewhere to deflect the responsibility. And I deflected a lot of the reasons why I wasn't a professional to sources and things that are outside of me. When the reality was, it was it was because of me and the work that I hadn't done. Mm-hmm. So probably around mindsets, pick up some books, get a mentor, um, and you know, and don't get distracted. Probably. I love, I love that you've covered loads of topics in this without even knowing that we've actually spoke about really recently as well. So I knew there'd be loads of value in this time. I really appreciate you coming on and doing it. Just finish us up, mate. Just give us um, the socials for for what you're doing so people can go and check it out. Yeah, Tom Owens UK, pretty much wherever you are, we are. Tom Owens UK on, on every platform. Do quite, you know, probably majority of our stuff on Instagram, but YouTube videos and trying to share as much as as much as possible, really. And from if you're ever in Liverpool, come and train with us. If um if we can ever help from a we do we've got a confidence and mindset business that are built in COVID in lockdown, which is um which is which is is growing super quick. So if we can ever help from a confidence and a mindset perspective. Give us a shout. We'd love to help. Love to learn about you. And um, and yeah. Other than that, Ben, I really do appreciate you having me on. I hope it was valuable for your audience. I'm sure we'll we'll find out anyway when the when the they listen. So, but yeah, appreciate it. Appreciate the invite. Thanks so much. No, I appreciate you, mate. I know you're very busy, so thanks a lot for freeing up the time and coming on. Of course, appreciate it, Ben. I've got to say, this is one reason why I started this podcast way back in, I think it was the end of 2018 that this podcast started, was to have conversations like this, because I really appreciate Tom coming on. I know he's not from a sports science and strength conditioning background, but I always think there's so much to learn from speaking to people like Tom that are working in slightly different roles, but we've all got a common goal in mind. We all want to make the players as best as they can be out on the pitch. So these conversations are really, really important. I took loads from the episode. I think that the question where I asked him about why players seek individual work and he simply said the players aren't getting it in the club. And I think he, he then went on to say, obviously, that's contextual depending on which club, which I'm sure is definitely the case. But there's obviously a reason that players are, are seeking this work, both technically with the work they're doing with Tom, but also physically with a lot of what a lot of work the players are doing away from the club as well. They obviously feel like something is missing. The other... Discussion was where we had about players getting a lot of work in terms of this. He was more talking more technically now in academy age groups. So when they're going through the development stages of their career, they're getting a lot of coaching. Then they go into the performance um, section of their career when they're moving into like first team and things are more about results. And Tom was talking about the the, the coaching dropping and not getting as much coaching at that time and players really wanting it because they still want to improve. And I think there is a little bit of a correlation across to the physical side as well with that in mind. Uh, Players also seeking to do more and there's definitely a line that we've got to be careful of that players aren't just doing more and more work and um, not actually getting any positive results out of it. But obviously the fact that they're wanting to do more in a structured way I think is a good thing. The thing that he talked about loads was communication which I love that he mentioned it so much because it's something obviously we spoke about a lot on the podcast recently but it seems that, that Tom, it's a big part of what they do at Tom, Tom Owens UK. They talk to the players, they're, they're engaging with how they feel in sessions and how drills make them feel or what their feelings are out on the pitch. And I think there's a big lesson to be learned within that for coaches at clubs and away from clubs as well. And then the other thing that I took away, and there could be more than this to be honest, was where he mentioned about his drills, trying to get players to train at a high inten- higher intensity than the game. 
So when they step out onto the, the pitch, things actually seem that little bit slower. And I think that there's a big lesson to be learned from that in that if players are, are working at such a high intensity and get used to that, stepping into the environment when things are slightly slower in a game scenario, then there's going to be a little bit longer to make decisions and players are going to be a little bit more comfortable from going through that discomfort that they've been with with someone like Tom or some of the work that we potentially do with players as well. So some really important points, I think, to take away from this one. I hope you enjoyed it. I'm sure you did. Please share what you took away from this because it'll be really interesting to hear what you took from the podcast. So please give it a share on socials. Tag Tom in. They are Tom Owens UK on Instagram, Tom Owens underscore UK over on Twitter. So tag Tom and tag us. Let us know what you thought of it. And thank you again for listening. Go and check out the sponsors. Good Prep doing some brilliant work in terms of meal prep. I'm off to have one of their meals right now. Also to Rezzle, go and check Rezzle out, doing, doing some brilliant work in the world of VR and give them a follow at Rezzle over on socials. And I will speak to you again next week in episode 237.